Welcome to Design Speaks, the podcast that empowers you to stay inspired, be creative on demand, and find your visual voice. I'm your host, Brandy C. Joining me today is Lauren from For the Creatives. This is part one of a two-part series, and we will be talking about the things we wish we knew when we started our design businesses. So stay tuned for that. Coming up later in the show. So something I've been really uncommonly inspired by lately is an interior design trend I heard about on TikTok. It's called, brace yourself, Grand Millennial Style. So what is Grand Millennial Style? Briefly, it's basically the answer to the minimalistic mid-century modern thing that has been popular for probably going on a decade now. And as trends in fashion and design and other things are cyclical, so is this. So what is grand millennial style? It's basically millennials that have adopted some things from their grandmother's era and updated it a bit. So what I thought was really intriguing about this is that it's taking something that was previously seen as old and dingy or non-inviting and updated it. So it's taking that heavy brown furniture that you might find at a yard sale, right? The one that no one ever buys unless it's your grandmother or people were just buying it to like update it and paint it and do like that whole farmhouse chalk look thing, which is also, I'm so over it. But the thing that I really love about it is that it's taking something that already exists and making it your own. So really evolving like your grandmother's china or all these wild patterns that would be on chairs or couches or anything like that, even all the crazy wallpaper and taking it from like the dingy, weird grandma stuff and putting it in a new color or updating it to be brighter, even if it's a similar thing. It's really fun. It incorporates a lot more personality into, you know, what's happening. And so I really appreciate it. There was a quote that I found in an article all about this grand millennial style by Jessica Bennett. And she says, a well-edited design is the key to pulling off the grand millennial look in a way that's more timeless than antiquated. Be selective as you accessorize to avoid an overly cluttered look. Choose fabrics and bold patterns, but keep the color palette tight and consistent so the look is layered and cozy, not chaotic. Above all, decorate with what you love. I was really inspired by this in general, but I absolutely love that quote because it applies to graphic design as well. It's really key that you know how to edit your design work well. I call it design math. And this whole idea really brings in this strategy of being able to take something that you like and make it your own. So if you haven't already seen it by this time, I highly suggest you go check out this whole grand millennial thing. It's really inspiring me to want to incorporate more patterns, more bold things into my work as well as into my house. So that's what's been inspiring me lately. Skipping town, down to Mexico, lipstick home. 
A song I've really been loving lately is called Thelma and Louise by Bastille. So obviously Thelma and Louise is a really popular uh, cult classic movie from I think the early 90s, late 80s possibly. But this song, I really like the lyrics of the chorus primarily that say, Days like these, you want to get away, close our eyes, pretend we're miles away, hear the sound of my heart exploding. Can you hear the sound of my heart exploding? She said to me. And I'm just a sucker for songs that talk about getting away and traveling and that feeling of being out and exploring new things. Um, but this one is basically like you ever have those days where you can't, maybe you can't get away, but you can, we can close our eyes and we can pretend that we are in a different place or pretending that we're having an adventure or embracing whatever adventure you are living wherever you are and that feeling like you are just so excited that your heart feels like it's going to explode and a lot of that is often who we're with and so I really love the sentiment of this song whether it's based on the movie or not I've been really loving it and I hope you check it out you can find this song and all the songs I feature here on this podcast on my playlist on Spotify Music from Design Speaks Podcast. I had the opportunity to chat with Lauren on her YouTube channel back in, I think it was May, so it's been a few months. For a couple of episodes, we talked about creating original design work and coming up with social media content. And when we chatted then, I knew that I had to have Lauren on Design Speaks for our own conversation. So Lauren, tell me a little bit about who you are and who you help with your design business. Yeah, thank you so much, Brandy, for having me here. I'm very excited um, to see you and be here. And yes, we had lots of fun conversations, which I got some great feedback from my own audience. Oh, um, I'm back so glad. Yeah, that. I felt like we could talk forever. So here we are. <laughs> yes, exactly. I actually recently got a comment on one of the first the first video we did about how someone wanted to learn more about your course and was really excited. So I'm, I hope they went and checked it out because... Oh, I hope so too. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, my name is Lauren Gonzalez. Um, I am from originally from Los Angeles and I have been moving around the globe um, from the Pacific Northwest. I'm now in Florida, um, believe it Everybody's or not. Everybody's moving to Florida. Everybody. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> the thing that I'm super excited about is I am so close to Disney World. So I am... Oh, so much money. You're, you're going to be spending all of your money. <laughs> I know. I know. We're already planning our Christmas trip. It's going to be right when my son gets out of school. Oh, oh I'm so excited. Yeah, we're thinking to do a two-day um, so we can go to the Magic Kingdom. And then he's obsessed with Star Wars. So we're going to go to... Oh, of course. Star Wars Land. Yeah, we, we have yet to go. We were supposed to go to Disney World in 2020. Oh! <gasps> And that, that didn't happen. So we're still trying to figure that out when we can do it. But that's super exciting for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know you're a big Disney fan too. So Big fan. Exactly. <laughs> and Star Wars. Star and Marvel. Wars. They have all the things. They have everything. Exactly. And you just recently took a trip to LA. So I know that 
you're, you have a connection there and yeah, we do. Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I grew up in LA. Um, I've always been super passionate about designing, drawing. Um, I started in originally actually really wanted to work for Pixar and, um, I ended up going to CalArts, the Disney founded school for uh, character animation. I was on the brink of actually getting a, um, an internship at Pixar and I decided my mom got cancer, things kind of were going a little cuckoo in my life. So I did a little switch and uh, ended up in design and at Art Center. So um, I have embraced graphic design. I love it. And um, so now I, I then started my own design business after working as a creative director for six years. I went on my own. I got sick of the corporate life and I also wanted to start a family. I wanted to set my own schedule. And um, so then I started a design business five years ago, or actually five and a half years ago. And um, I have then grown that. It's been very successful. And I've been able to really give back to the creative community because I learned a lot of things along the way. So I decided to start a YouTube channel about a year and a half ago. And uh, that's where For the Creatives was born. That's really exciting. Yeah. I feel like there's a huge connection between being a creative director and then wanting to turn that into some sort of a, okay, now I know all this stuff. How can I help people outside of just, you know, especially when you go from being in an office directing people, right? Like we both have a similar career path in some ways where we both, you know, were creative directors and then went on our own and then we're like, I have things to share. So I love, I love that we have that in common because we have a lot of those similarities. How did you, um, how did it feel? Was it disappointing to not follow the original path that you thought you were on for, for the Pixar thing, right? That's like, that's like the super cliche thing that all creative people want, right? Whether you're a designer or an animator or film or writer or anything, because they write such good stories. Everyone's like, it's like Pixar is like the the top of Mount Everest for creatives. It's like, I want to work at Pixar someday. And I'd be lying if I said that, like, if Pixar came a knock in, I am not saying no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely, um, you know, there's been those regret moments and cringes like, oh man, I wish I could have been, you know, I had a friend who um, I actually met when I went to the original summer program for CalArts and um, she ended up going on to work at Pixar. She was the lead character designer. Um, I think she, the last film I think she worked on was Coco. Um, she did a lot of designs there and it's so cool because I can see her whole style. It's yeah. like throughout that entire film and the impact that her creativity had on the film was just mind blowing. So I, I always, you know, and I have um, some other friends that have worked there or done some freelance stuff for them. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 always that oh, what would have happened. Um, but I am very happy with the the path that my life went ended up going on. So. But yeah, I, I mean, who doesn't want to work for Pixar? Did you see right. the? Re- <laughs> yeah, like you said, did you see the recent trailer for? Um, oh, I've Light seen Year? everything. I've I've just been like drowning in all their behind the scenes stuff oh. too on like Disney Plus. Yeah, looks really incredible. The Lightyear film. Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, no, that's yeah. so exciting to see kind of the behind the the before of Buzz. I know yeah. that's totally off topic, but it's No, it's, it's just, great. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was super cool. And my and then they have the David Bowie reference in the trailer with the the whole um <laughs> that's that song which is was perfect because it hits many different levels of audiences, I think, that they yeah, were really agreed. trying to They're so good at that. You know, even people that say, I don't really like Disney are like, oh but I like Pixar stuff. 
Yeah. Like a lot of grownups are like, I don't watch cartoons. Oh, but I like Pixar. So like they're so great at appealing to, you know, kids as young as one or two and all the way. It's like I feel like Pixar is one of those companies that can literally say like from zero to 100. Yeah. But even in that, they probably they definitely still do have a target audience. But that's a whole other topic. So speaking of like wishes and regrets and, you know, we're totally happy where we are, right? Like, I I just recorded an episode um, actually before we got on, uh, and it's it was a little bit ago um, now, well, by the time this episode comes out, but about how becoming a mother is actually, like, becoming a mom and staying home with my kids is actually part of the reason I even have my own business and, like, do what I do. And so... While I'm super happy with that, there are things in the beginning that I wish that I would have known, things that you can't necessarily understand going from an office creative director role to owning your own business, right? Because when we are working for someone else, even if like, you know, I was in charge of the entire creative department. So essentially, like I ran a lot of the things, but I didn't have to worry about like how much I was charging because I was on salary. I didn't have to worry about like bringing in clients because they were my client. Like they either they brought the jobs or they were the job as an in-house, right? And so there's just so many things that you don't realize are going to be a part of like owning your own business. It's like, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to make all the money. No one's going to take a portion of it. Like I'm going to get the clients I want. So I want to talk today about some of those things like that we wish we would have known to kind of prepare us a little bit better for being able to handle this. I don't like to call it freelance because the the idea behind freelance is that you're a hired gun and I don't like that. So I like to say an independent designer. And so let's talk about that. I have some I have a good long list here and I'm not going to I'm definitely not going to touch on all of them, but I'd like to hear what maybe what is what is the thing that comes to mind first when I say, what do you wish you knew when you started your design business? Yeah, I love this topic. So the first thing that's um, kind of a, it, it's a real, the bigger picture kind of a, a concept is, you know, when you're working in-house, like you said, it's it's very much one track mind. You're working from sometimes depending if you're working for an agency or an actual specific company, the designs are all the same. They're they're all specifically within one one company that you're you're designing for. So, and you don't necessarily always think with the bigger picture. So, I think the biggest thing that I would say is when you are designing for somebody and it's your own client and you are getting them, the it kind of it's it's not just they're hiring you to create something beautiful. It's not just something that's pretty and that's going to make things look better. And mm-hmm. understanding that it's it's a key component in their own business, reaching their goals and getting uh, more more sales or reaching their income goals or thinking with how vital that is to actually get there. Even if you're not a strategist, it's still an integral part of it. And that having that kind of bigger picture understanding helps you, I think, in the mindset of money and how you can actually be charging more because mm-hmm. you are really worth a lot to, in, to enable them to actually meet their goals. So yeah, that's there was like four things in that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually have 
all of those things on my list as well, but in, in separate like sort of things. Okay. So let's let's Unpack talk first them. about like the whole, I have this as strategy over aesthetics. Um, and that is definitely something that I knew as an in-house creative director, right? We're trying to reach a goal, whatever that is, like get more people into this event, sell more tickets or get more signups or like whatever that is. Like there's always a goal and a problem. But when you go free, when I went, when I went independent, it was sort of like, I just want to show people that I can make like things that they like. I knew in, in here, in my heart and in my head that going about it that way was not right, but I didn't think I was going to be able to get enough work initially right in the beginning. Cause I was like sort of in panic mode, like I just need work. So I'll just do whatever, even knowing that that's not how I had been operating for all these years as a creative director. That's not how I had gone business even independently while I was working as a creative director. So all of a sudden it's like, because you need the money, right? You need that thing. You start to think, maybe I'm doing this all wrong because X, Y, Z. And then remembering that you do. And you said, even if you're not a strategist, I think that it's just become way too trendy for for creatives, uh, for some designers to call themselves just strategists. When if you're doing it right, you've always been a strategist because design and solving problems with design requires a strategy. And if you're not, then you're just putting makeup on something. You're just doing the aesthetics. So, um, so that's one thing. Thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree. I love that, and um, I think that I think that the problem with what I see in a lot of designers is that they go to school and they're taught design, they're taught aesthetics, they're taught about the technicalities. But mm-hmm. I think a really crucial missing course is marketing and strategy, brand strategy. And those are whole subjects in themselves, Mm -hmm. but they're so integral to design. Design is part of them. So I think what you're saying, like you're saying with the being that they're not necessarily doing it right from the start and they're just putting a a bandaid or a a, a facade on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a much, this is a much bigger conversation, but it's, it's something that I, I feel, um, I feel needs to be understood even if they don't want to be fully calling themselves a strategist or get into that, just understanding it and asking the right questions to the client at the start of a project Mm -hmm. really will help the client get a better result, get them better testimonials, and they'll be able to charge more. Right. Yeah. um, Another one of the points that I have here, and I I know that we're both going to be touching on all of these, so we'll just kind of go with it. The importance of why, like asking the question why has always been a huge part of what I do from from the very beginning. And that is that does come back to it, right? Like, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you choosing those typefaces? Why are you using these colors? And can, you know, understanding that that just asking why is strategy in itself, because then you start to understand the foundation, right? Like Simon Sinek says to start with why, and his is sort of in a more life goals kind of way. But ultimately, like when I do strategy with clients now where, you know, I can charge thousands of dollars just to do the strategy, not even to touch any design work on my whole like... um 
pyramid thing, the why is the biggest part at the bottom. And the how is the very tip, right? Because it doesn't matter how you do it as long as why you're doing it really works. And you also mentioned like marketing. And the note that I have here is self-branding strategy. Something that I, I don't think I put enough emphasis on in the beginning and I wish I had known how important it was, was to brand myself. And I had a logo, like I had a cutesy business name. It was Epiphany Design just because I thought it was fun. And I had like a a dandelion because it, like there was meaning behind it. Like don't get me wrong. I had all this sort of deep m- meaning to why a dandelion represented my business and like all this stuff. But I wasn't really strategic about how I was selling what I did and what I was telling people. And I had what I would like to call is a... Uh, brand identity crisis (laughs) Um, at one point and had to treat myself like a client. And that is the number one thing that I wish I knew that if that I needed to treat myself like a client in my marketing, in my branding, in the designs that I did for myself, because I was doing all of that intense work for other people to help them make money for their businesses, to help their logos, their branding, their social media, all of their things look really great and sell a lot, but I wasn't doing that for myself. What was your experience in that? Oh yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, I had a similar situation. I came, you know, I, I came out of my job and I was like, okay, let's just name myself. I, I, I didn't think about anything. I didn't think about the, who I wanted to work with. I didn't think about, uh, what they wanted to see, where they were. I didn't know anything about social media at that time. And I didn't want to know. And, um, and <laughs> it's a phase. It's a fad. Yes, exactly. That's what I was hoping it would be. I had been on MySpace many, many years ago. And I remember I didn't, I never got into Facebook when it first started. This was like, not until 2016 that I actually, uh, you know, set up a profile. So, um, but I named it after my middle name, Elise. So I did Elise designs. Um, I put up a website of all the illustrations I'd ever done. I couldn't use my corporate job work. So it was just kind of a mix of a bunch of things. And I just put it all up there and I hoped for the best. And I was, I didn't If get I build anybody. it, they will come, right? Yeah. All I have to do is put up a website. And they'll come to me. Yeah. And where were they? Why didn't they come, Brandy? It was, it was just they don't not... know how to find you. Exactly. Exactly. And I just, you know, it gets, it gets upsetting because then you're thinking, oh, I'm worthless. I suck. I, my designs suck. Why isn't it working? And all it says on the top is I am a designer. And mm-hmm. you look at a lot like going and just recently, I've looked at some freelance or independent designers, you know, on, on uh, their websites and the amount that say, I am a designer, I am a designer, I am a designer. And that's really all, all the copy that's on the site. It's just, there's mm-hmm. so much missing opportunity to really engage with who they want to work with and really show how they're different. And that's, right. that's a really important thing that I didn't learn until later yeah, on. Yeah. And you were saying like, you felt worthless, um, that's another thing that I I think I didn't. And as an Enneagram 3, I don't remember if we've talked about the Enneagram at all, but as an Enneagram 3, like I've realized, I've learned about in the past few years, I know that I find a lot of my value in other people finding value in me if that's not too meta. Like, yeah, I get it. 
And as creatives, we're like that anyways. But as an Enneagram 3, that's like so much of that is really based in what I do. And I wish that I would have realized that my value is in who I am, not in what I do, not in how much money I make, not in how many awards I win or don't win, all of those things. And it's hard to, it's hard to get past that when you are new because you're, you're working so hard to prove yourself. And I say new, not in that you are a new designer, because by the time I started my business, I had been doing design for 10 years. Like I, I was not new, but as a new independent designer is a complete, it feels like you all of a sudden know nothing, even though you know a lot of things. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know that's exactly the feelings I went through. I, I was like, it's a whole new skill. And, and I think that it, it kind of hits you in the face really strong at first and you don't expect it. And I, and that's something I try and, and help with in my channel is like, make people understand what to expect because it's not all rainbows and butterflies and clients coming to you immediately and, and everything it's there. It, it can be so exciting once you, once you figure it out, but it, at the beginning it's, it's like, yeah, you, you have to keep yourself, your mindset, right. You have to keep the persistence going and not let your inner voice or the, the, um, inner workings of trying to say you're not good enough, affect your ability to keep going because it is, it is a lot. And it's, it's like a whole, like you're, yeah, like you're just coming out in kindergarten. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that something that is really, it's unnerving to think that you question yourself so much when you start out brand new like that, because it's almost like, you sort of start to forget all the things you know you know, like in the whole self-branding or trying to, you are worth X amount of dollars, right? And even though we don't like to put dollar amounts on our worth, like our work is worth a dollar amount. But when you start out as a, as a free independent designer, you all of a sudden go, oh, well, they're not going to pay me as much as I think I'm supposed to be paid because... I've not been doing this very long, even though potentially you have. So my audience here on this show is for designers that are not new primarily. It is mid-career, at least five to 10 years in the business. And so encouraging those of you out there in that place that when, if and when you start out as an independent designer, you are going to feel like you are starting this brand new. So trust what you know, <laughs> trust yourself. The other thing is that it can be lonely. This is something that I did not I did not realize until I started becoming really depressed about it. Like not clinically depressed or anything, but just like super down about, you know, I am a very social person as a creative director. I I thrive on leading teams. And even today that's still something that I struggle with, which is why I really enjoy doing the podcast. I love being on other people's YouTube channels and their podcasts and talking live on Instagram and going on Clubhouse and like all of the things that I have now realized I can do. But in the beginning, I had left a job. And it's so sad that when you leave a job right like that, you you don't, it's not like it happens on purpose. They're not trying to like desert you, but 
sometimes you you become really good friends with people just by convenience, just because you work with them every day. And when you don't see them every day, it's it becomes less and less. And all of a sudden, you're working alone at your computer till all hours of the night. And it's always you. And it's always you. And it's always you. And I think I wish I would have known, one, that that was going to be the thing. Like, there are going to be these moments of intense loneliness. But also, there's so much creative community that you can engage in. And I started being more involved with AIGA again and with American Advertising Federation and all these other creative groups locally that we have. But I wish I would have known that that was, that was like a major struggle. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And, and, it's, and I can see that it could be very daunting. And I, I, I think the biggest thing that I had with the loneliness was not having another creative to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that I think is really helpful in a creative environment. Yeah. yeah. It is. Well, because, you know, ultimately every human is made for community anyways. Right. We are not, we are not made, we are not created to be alone. And so in a creative environment where you're used to having some group think and some, well, have you ever thought about this? Or did you, do you have a reason for doing this thing? You sort of start creating inside a vacuum. And even though you know you're supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. Sometimes you forget because you don't have those other checks and balances there, which sort of leads me actually really nicely to to my next thing that I think is really important that I wish I knew that the process really does matter. And I did discover this kind of early on, and I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but for those who didn't watch our videos together, that I really started to embrace this strategic way of designing when I had a lot of pushbacks from some of my independent design clients when they were asking me, well, okay, I see that price, but I don't know what, I don't know why it costs so much. And I was getting really frustrated. They were paying me, they were hiring me, but there was just like this weird pushback of like, I don't quite trust you. And so I wrote down the process that I use for them essentially like, okay, I'm just going to include this with every proposal just to say, look, here's everything that goes into into what I do from the moment we meet to the second I give it to you. And then, you know, anything after that, our relationship can continue or whatever. And in that, I realized that, oh my gosh, this process not only is unique and something that I kind of held on to as something that was special to the way that I came up with unique designs, but also gave me a lot of like self-confidence in being able to communicate clearly to clients and have them understand what I do. Oh, I love that. I love that you were able to show that and get them to see the added value. That's a really smart thing to include in a proposal and, and, and bringing it back to how that how also that positions you differently than just an another designer who maybe isn't thinking these things and isn't really going that far so they can really see the extra investment is going to take them way further in their own business right and so realizing that some, you know let's be real there are lots and lots of designers out there that don't really care to have strategy. They don't really bother with much of a process. 
They just want to make a hundred bucks here or there on a, on some logos and get on Fiverr and just do whatever they got to do to make some money and make something pretty. I don't believe those are either of our audiences, and so encouraging encouraging them to look into that process. And you, remember that you're not just writing down your process so that you can prove yourself to your clients. Writing down your process is more for you. And they that's like they giving it to them and showing it to them if you feel like that's something that's necessary for you. It's sort of like a happy byproduct. But I always tell people, if you don't know your process, you don't have one. And if you haven't written it down, you definitely don't have one. Because if you haven't written down your process, your method, your your framework for working, then there's no way you can explain it to another person when they want to know how you work. I was just coaching with a creative not too long ago. And we were talking about, well, what do I say when they ask me, like, what what's your creative process like? And it was, well, do you know? <laughs> do, do you know what it is? It's not just, well, first I open up Photoshop and then I find an idea on Pinterest that I really like. And then I kind of mesh it and make it into my own. That is not a design process. That's how do you use the software. And so really being clear on what is your method from the time that you communicate to a client the first time when they inquire with you about whatever it may be and then to the day that you hand it off and they are happy. I didn't realize how powerful that was when I first started my business. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I think that um, the something that is actually on my list is very kind of goes in hand in hand with this, which is the systems, the onboarding process, the whole framework for the starting this, the, the changing, the stopping, getting through the entire process is so important to understand and to actually have streamlined out. And that's, that's something that I've been helping other designers with. And once they kind of see it, like, and it's very similar to what you're saying is it, it makes it so simple and they can see, Oh my gosh, I'm spending hours on back and forth emails when I could just handle this in one simple onboarding form mm -hmm. and, or, oh my gosh, I'm spending hour, um, hours chasing up invoices months later when I could have just required them to pay a deposit and pay before I even release the final files. Like these little tweaks are so important and I completely miss them when I just started my business because I didn't see the importance of spending extra time doing these stupid little things that are so not stupid. Um, to yeah. yeah. So then spending hours trying to chase up um, these $300 projects that I had at the beginning were, I mean, I, I just really had it all backwards. So, yeah, yes. I will say that that was like one saving grace, I think, for my experience with being a creative director where I worked was I, I had very early on incorporated a creative brief and a design brief that I used because where I worked, there was it was a large church. And inside of that large church, they had um, three radio stations, two magazines, some book publishing um, a skate park, and about 120 various ministries, which operated like mini businesses. And so I learned really quickly that if there isn't a brief at every single first meeting where they are like, hey, we're having a concert, I need a poster. I go, okay, 
instead of just taking that and coming back, right, with a bunch of designs, bunch of designs, bunch of, no, I don't like that, no, I don't like that. I learned very early that a brief was necessary. And so I took those with me because I had created them. I took them with me into my independent design business and seeing that, okay, this can be my onboarding. Like this can be my, this, it, this can be my gatekeeper. If people will not fill out the brief or work with me on the brief, if they won't even take the time to do that, they are not my people. And so that was something that I did learn early on. However, even though I did the deposit thing, I did not incorporate things into a, a real legal contract until way too late. There, there were things like, you know, scope creep and all of the things where I quoted sort of kind of around hourly plus a little bit and realized later that like, that is not a way to work. I need to be value pricing, like basing this on the value. So um, the onboarding thing is for sure, figuring out what to put in your contracts. And there's so many, there's so many online that you can just like pick and choose what you think is relevant for you and kind of make your own that I thought it was just really daunting to do that, knowing I needed it, but didn't think I needed it as soon as I did. And so thankfully, nothing crazy ever happened until I did have a contract and whoo, dodge that bullet. But yeah, for sure, onboarding and understanding like how to bring a client along is so important. Yes, yes. And I'm glad you figured out the contract before anything hit you too bad. Yeah, there was some crazy stuff for was it was literally like the project I got right after I like put together a legit contract. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> it was as a whole other story for another time. But it was definitely like, oh, thank you, Jesus, because I just I don't know what I would have done without that little blurb in my contract because it was a mess. All right, lovelies, that's our episode for today. Thank you so much, Lauren, again, for being an amazing interim co-host for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to Design Speaks Podcast so that you don't miss out on part two of our conversation. Also, be sure to leave a review on iTunes, and you can always send us a note over on Instagram at Design Speaks Podcast. You can find show notes and past episodes at designspeakspodcast.com or even more at brandyc.com. Design Speaks is produced by Kenneth Niffin and Dakota Cook. Shout out to Colin from Vespertine for our amazing theme music. Design Speaks is a project of Brandy C Design Co. and is recorded in the shadow of the watermelon pink Sandia Mountains near Albuquerque, New Mexico. As always, I'm Brandy C, reminding you that you can take control of your creativity. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Go on,